Tonight we have a most unlikely match for you, the boxer against the wrestler, with all the proceeds going to charity. What the hell goes on inside your head? Anything normal functions? Uh, I don't think so, because to fight a creature like this, you got to have about a hundred pounds of brain damage. I'm coming after you, Balboa. Hello and welcome to Camel Clutch Cinema, the podcast where we talk about movies that star wrestlers or have wrestling in them. I'm Guy Hutchinson. And I'm Craig Cohen. And for the next two weeks, we are talking about Rocky Three. Fair warning, this discussion will be full of spoilers. All right. Rocky Three. So this movie came out in, what, 1982? Yeah. Did you first see it in 1982 in the movie theater? Yes, yeah. We actually saw it in, in uh, this is when I was living up north. And we in my small town, we lived in a small town, we had a uh, a Main Street that had a, a, du- a, a duplex. <laughs> I think we determined that was a word a couple episodes ago. Yes. And then further on the outskirts of town, we had a multiplex. So we saw Rocky Three at the duplex. Uh, and it's probably the same duplex where I saw E.T. E.T. ran at that theater for like 14 months. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, the yeah, the duplex, I mean, that was when you had two screens. And that was – those were considered for a, for a while – before the the time of this movie, those were considered like a second rate kind of theater. Your your real theater would have one big screen. Yeah, they broke them in half because they were like, we need to fit more movies, and there was nothing beyond two. You know, three started happening. You know, uh, in the late seventies, and then they they eventually got up to five, maybe. And now, you know, what do you get? Twenty four, thirty. Yeah, it's crazy. I saw this at the Princeton Garden Theater in in Princeton, New Jersey. You saw it in Massachusetts, right? Yes. And so I saw it in Princeton Garden Theater. I remember so much about this day because I loved this movie so much. I was I was looking forward to it so much that I remember we saw it after church. I remember that my mom didn't go with us, that, you know, it was just me, my dad, my brothers, and my sister. I remember that we took spaghetti home from my grandmother's house, so we had to go to her house twice, once before the movie after church and once after the movie before we went home. And... I remember that the night I saw this, I had a nightmare about Clubber Lang. Oh, that's great. Do you remember the nightmare? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, the nightmare is the lamest nightmare any any child could have, but it terrified me. I had a nightmare that it was raining, and I was in my bed, and I got up and opened the opened the, the blinds, and Clubber Lang was standing there with his boxing gloves on the second floor of our house waiting for me. <laughs> Goodness. So the Rocky films are a saga of films. There's now been six of them. They've gone Rocky, Rocky 2, II, Rocky 3, Rocky 4, Rocky 5, and then Rocky Balboa, which is the most recent one in 2006. So from 1976 to 2006, and as a series, it's grossed more than a billion dollars worldwide, which sounds like a whole lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, definitely, yeah. And I mean, it's such an iconic character um, and, and series of films. It is, but I think there are some people that either they haven't seen all these or they've seen them, but they've seen them in bits and pieces. They watch them, you know, maybe when they're on TV and they, you know, what part is this on? And, and I think there's a lot of people that confuse one and two, kind of mix them together. Sure, and especially so, the endings. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, that's the thing that they do in these Rocky movies is the movie ends and then the next movie starts with the ending of the previous one. So, Craig, I'm going to give the summary of the very first Rocky film for anybody that wants to remember what happens in that and is not happening in Rocky Two. Rocky Balboa is a small-time boxer who seems to be going nowhere in life. 
as he works day in and day out as a collector for a loan shark and fights in sleazy clubs for low-paid reward, to which Rocky is mocked and told that he's nothing but a bum, especially by gym trainer Mickey Goldmill, played by Burgess Meredith. At the same time, Rocky unsuccessfully courts Adrian, Talia Shire, a painfully shy woman with an alcoholic brother named Pauly, played by Burt Young. But when heavyweight champion of the world Apollo Creed, played by Carl Weathers, chooses Rocky at random as his opponent for a title fight, Rocky realizes he now has a chance to prove he's not worthless. With Adrian and as his support and Mickey becoming his trainer and manager, Rocky fights for his self-respect. And he goes toe-to-toe with Apollo and he loses. Yeah. The, 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 you know, the point of that movie was he went the full 15 rounds. Yeah. He was a guy. And that was enough of a win for him. Right. He shouldn't have been in the ring with the champ. And he went, yeah. the fact that he went 15 rounds was something. If he had gone three rounds, it probably would have been pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not the movie we're talking about because there's no wrestlers or wrestling in that. So let's go to Rocky 2. And Craig, why don't you tell me all about Rocky 2? Okay, soon after proving himself, even with a loss to Apollo Creed, Rocky expects the good life to follow. He marries Adrian and begins spending the money he earned from the match. But after he fails at both endorsements and a series of low-wage jobs, Rocky realizes the only way he can survive is to begin boxing again. Creed, on the other hand, faces criticism from fans to overcome the fight. As a result, he taunts Rocky through publicity into a rematch, for which Rocky trains once again with Mickey. In the 15th round, Rocky knocks Creed to the ground, falling to the ground himself in the process. Both fighters struggle to get to their feet, but only Rocky is successful. For the first time, Rocky is declared the heavyweight champion of the world. And this is the movie where he chases the chicken. (laughs) Yes. So that is Rocky II, which also we're not talking about in this this episode. Which brings us to Rocky III. And I'm going to read right from the back of the DVD box. Rocky battles his most powerful adversary yet, the ferocious Clubber Lang, played by Mr. T, in this hard-hitting action movie that comes out swinging with adventure, humor, and emotionally charged human drama. For what may be the most exciting and fast-paced film in the series, Sylvester Stallone writes, directs, and stars with explosive passion and intensity. As Rocky Balboa, Stallone, fights his way into the hearts of millions. Life couldn't be better. He scores 10 consecutive wins, lands lucrative endorsement contracts, and becomes famous throughout the world. But when Clubber Lang KOs Rocky in a humiliating defeat, it becomes apparent that the Italian stallion has lost his edge. Considering hanging up his gloves, Rocky receives encouragement from an unlikely ally, his old nemesis, Apollo Creed, played by Carl Weathers. With Creed's help, Rocky strives to regain the eye of the tiger before confronting Lang in a grueling rematch for the World Heavyweight Championship. Yeah, one thing that was interesting about that write-up is it, is it, it touts it as the most exciting and fast-paced film in the series. Mm-hmm. And I'd have to say it, it might be more that it was, I think, people our age... This was the first Rocky film that I really think spoke to people in that age group, the younger people. Right. This was the first one. The, the, the two before this, the first one is a very you know wonderful, serious drama. The second one is somewhat of a rehash of the first one, but still it's a movie that's aiming at, at, at adults. And the, yeah. this one 
has a lot more of, of maybe a cartoonish nature, but it also has uh, a lot more humor in it. There's a lot more funny lines and a lot more stuff that really was very popcorn and a lot less. This one is where they start to not feel like dramas anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think that was probably also um, a result of what Stallone was becoming as well. He was definitely ingrained in the public consciousness at that point. Yes, indeed. And he, he got his face fixed up. <laughs> which, which we'll get to. This came out May 28th, 1982. And uh, I found a newspaper article from the Ocala Star Banner. And it said that MGM United Artists, this, this was right before the release. This is a week before, is, play, is pinning its financial comeback on two films. Rocky Three, which Sylvester Stallone swears will be the last of the saga and Poltergeist. So this was the end. <laughs> or the halfway point. Yeah, I mean, you can believe that, you know, Stallone really, you know, thought it was going to be the end, but it's funny. Um, you can even relate that to, you know, a current movie. I, I had read an interview recently with um, the the creator of the Taken series, and he said Taken 2 is going to be the last one. Where You know, we did Taken, we're doing Taken 2, and that's it. And then, of course, it opened to $50 million this weekend, and they've already said we've got an idea for Part 3. Exactly. Yeah. So... This uh, this time, 1982, just a few months before, March 24th, 1982, Jack Swagger was born. Ah, cool. So there's a little bit of trivia for you. Let's talk about the top ten films at the box office at this time. Why don't you rattle them off for me, Craig? All right, and this was, you said May 28th. That was uh, the big Memorial Day weekend that year, that holiday. This and... was the tent pole of the, of the MGM's release on, on Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. So that week, uh, the top ten or, or, or top five was uh, Rocky Three opened at number one. Um, Visiting Hours finished behind it. Um, Conan the Barbarian with another 80s action icon uh, in the making, Arnold. Uh, Denbed, uh, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid and, and Porkies. <laughs> so that's the top five. Rocky was way out in front, 16 million. The next biggest film was 5 million. It's funny to think of a day where 16 million topped the box office. If you look at the top 17 films that were in the box office, and, and once you get to 18, I mean, these films are making less than $20,000 in their, yeah. you know, in their weekend, uh, $47, $47 million <laughs> for all of them. That's yeah. all of them added together, less than Taken made in one weekend. Yeah. So Rocky Three, uh, fantastic film, big opening, open against Visiting Hours. I did. I don't know this film. Yeah, actually, I didn't know it until about maybe six to eight months ago. Uh, it was one of those movies that popped up on my next Netflix queue, um, and mainly uh, it was because of William Shatner. Um, I watched it. Pretty forgettable horror movie. Okay, yeah, 1982 slasher film starring Michael Ironside, the description says, also has uh, Lee Grant and, of course, as you said, William Shatner. Yeah, never heard of it. Uh, maybe I'll have to check it out sometime. It also opened this weekend, opened with $5 million, which was probably a pretty sizable sum for, you know, this film. I, I can't imagine they thought that would be the top film of the weekend, opening no, no. against the juggernaut of Rocky Three. Conan the Barbarian, another, you know, famous, famous 1982 film. I know you're a big fan of this one. Yeah, yeah, and uh, this is probably another one that I saw in the theaters. Wow, yeah, yeah, and this uh, this film was co-written by John Milius, who last I heard 
was trying to work with WWE Films, so we may at some point review something else that he had his hands in. Oh, God, I hope so. Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, the Steve Martin comedy film that I saw as a kid and didn't get and was annoyed by, and then I saw it as an adult and was like, ah, I get it. It makes sense now. Very odd film. I mean, it's a film where they mishmash a bunch of different sequences and put Steve Martin into them. Yeah, it was almost like that, um, what was that Kung Fu movie that the Thumb Wars guy did? Oh, yeah, Kung Pao, Enter the Fist. Yeah, it was that the same concept. Mm-hmm. Porkies, which is the, uh, you know, girls are naked and we look at them in the shower movie. Yeah, I, I honestly can say I don't think I've seen an entire Porky's movie. <laughs> You've only seen the highlights. <laughs> uh, Porky's had made $85 million at the box office at this point. It was 11 weeks into its run. It raked in another $5 million that, that weekend. Amazing. And they went on to make a, at least three sequels, I think? Yeah, I, 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 have, I, I think... There are a total of three, right? Or are you saying there's a Porky's four out there? I, I, I don't want to know. I don't really want to know. I. I think we can all stop at Porky's. Uh, the Sword and the Sorcerer. Now, this is another one I, I never heard of. But what excited me about it, it says it's a sword and sorcery fantasy film that, that has Richard Mull in it. Was was full on Night Court. Yeah. Have you ever seen this? No, the title's ringing a bell, but uh, without seeing anything from it, I, I, I can't really place it. So rounding out the rest of the top ten, we have at number seven, The Road Warrior, which is an interesting film for wrestling fans because wrestling has stolen so much from the Mad Max films. Oh, I know. Starting with the the, the, you know, the title of the American release. Right. You got The Road Warriors, which, you know, obviously the famous tag team of, of Hawk and Animal, one of the one of the most accomplished tag teams of all time. And Probably the two worst no-sellers in the history of tag team wrestling. Two guys that really didn't seem to care if they hurt their opponents and would sell nothing. Except uh, styrofoam uh, coolers. <laughs> yeah, wait, wait, wait. This is a great story. This was at in a 1990s Attitude Era match. And uh, they were wrestling, I think, the New Age Outlaws, but uh, I'm not Most 100% likely. sure. And one of the outlaws reached under and pulled out a styrofoam cooler and he hit Hawk in the head with it and Hawk sold it like it was made out of concrete. Yeah, and there was nothing in it. Yeah. But it wasn't but, like it was full of ice or anything. Yeah, no, no, no. This was an empty styrofoam <laughs> cooler because it bounced when it hit the floor. But at that point, they weren't the Road Warriors. They were the Legion of Doom. So they were ripping off the Super Friends. They were ripping yeah. off Lex Luthor, who was eventually ripped off by Lex Luger. So... A lot of ripping off going on. There's a couple other characters in wrestling that have stolen from the Road Warrior. There's also uh, uh, Lord Humongous, oh, which yeah. is an amazing story. This is a gimmick that's in the film. And why don't you describe what Lord Humongous looks like? Um, he's a big, giant guy, um, almost wearing wrestling trunks. Uh, but then like a Freddy Krueger hockey mask. Yeah, like a, no, Jason Voorhees. Jason Voorhees hockey mask. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And this guy, they Lord Humongous in, in the South, in uh, in Memphis, they used this gimmick and they would just replace him. It was like doink. You know, when Lord Humongous left, you found a new Lord Humongous. And so um, Sid, Psycho Sid, Sid Vicious, whatever you want to call him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played Lord Humongous. His son apparently played him within the past few years, which oh, wow. is crazy to me. Um, Barry Buchanan, who was who was part of the uh, Right to Censor 
He was okay. Paul Buchanan. He was one of the guys who did this gimmick at one point in time. There were a bunch of other guys. There's like six guys that have done this gimmick over the years. Yeah, I guess like you said with Doink, it was, you know, if you had the certain body type, yes. put the mask on and who's going to care? And the the final one that ripped off the Road Warrior is Mad Max. There was a wrestler who went by the name Mad Max in 1984. So we're talking two years after Rocky Three, and, you know, this movie came out. You know, he was one half of the Max Brothers, and they were also <laughs> billed as the Wild Warriors. Wow. It's crazy, crazy. So rounding out the rest of the top ten, Chariots of Fire, a film I've never seen, which I've always wanted to. I know you saw this as a child. Yes, yes. As you can see, uh, my my parents kind of went to the movies that, you know, they wanted to go to sometimes, (laughs) and Chariots of Fire was one of those. And I remember spending... You know, probably most of the movie in the in the lobby uh, <laughs> looking at Pac-Man. Now, that Chariots of Fire had been out for 36 weeks at this point. So Chariots Amazing. of Fire had been out since, you know, before Christmas. You know, people were going trick-or-treating and Chariots of Fire was out. Now it's May and Chariots of Fire is still out. Uh, so that that's rounding out the top ten. Then Victor Victoria, which is a musical comedy, um, an interesting uh, show if you ever see it. I, I, the the movie I'm not a huge fan of. And then Fighting Back, which is a vigilante film that takes place in Philadelphia, just like a lot of the Rocky films. Yeah, and directed by Louis Teague, and that name really really rings a bell. Okay, yeah. So I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of a lot of interesting films at the box office, but this. Became number one, ended up raking in $124 million, which just puts it a few million dollars behind Rocky IV, which makes it the number two in this series and the number two boxing film of all time ahead of The Fighter, ahead of Real Steel, ahead of Million Dollar Baby, Cinderella Man, Ali with Will Smith, ahead of all of those, Rocky Three stands tall. Amazing. That is really, uh, that number alone or, or that status testament to to the the place that this series sort of holds in the in the um the halls of hollywood yeah now it's interesting i'm going to throw some numbers which which aren't very impressive um all-time domestic this is number 344 so if you have the all-time films that's a nice number but obviously you know there's 344 films ahead of it i don't know how many of us can rattle off 344 (laughs) films but (laughs) if you go down to pg films Mm-hmm. This is number 93. Oh, so wow. That's interesting because a movie like this today, I think, would definitely be PG-13. Oh, but yeah. At this point in time, it couldn't be. It had to be PG. And so that gives it, it – it's kind of interesting that, that that this film holds that place. And I think that it it probably won't get knocked too much lower because a lot of films come out G. Yeah. A lot of films come out PG-13. PG is almost like the forgotten rating. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about the cast. Um, Sylvester Stallone, big, big star, born 1946. At this point, he had uh, he had done Rocky one and two, and he had also started the the Rambo series. At this point, he was you know had done the first one, which was called First Blood, and mm-hmm. and uh, and this was kind of when he became a giant star. I mean, obviously, people knew who he was after Rocky, but this was when he became. I mean, when you get two franchises, that's a big, big deal. Oh yeah. And so Stallone was was really coming on his own. He also started to look different. In this movie, he looks totally different than the previous film. Yeah, there's only a, a handful of moments when I was watching it where I sort of, I saw the the Stallone from Rocky, um, 
you know, it seemed like in this movie too that his hair fluctuated a little bit depending on on the scene. Yeah, in this film, he's got the 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 black pompadour though, which looks very different than what he has in the previous films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's all he's all cleaned up, and he's he's uh, sort of the uh, the limousine riding version of Rocky. Right. There's a line in the film where Paulie says, oh, you got your face all fixed up. And from what I understand, Stallone had had some plastic surgery, which also changed his look. So that's one of the reasons that line would be there. It's just he looks a lot different than he did in the previous film. Yeah. And it's funny that Stallone would put that in there as the writer and director of the film. It it, it shows, uh, if nothing else, that it was something that that didn't bother him. Yeah, well, I got to say, if you took pictures of Stallone from every decade, I mean, think about just shortly after this movie, you know, a few years later, he's got the long hair doing like doing like Rambo three and four. Yeah. And look at how he looks now. He doesn't look anything like he did then. And and then he doesn't look anything like he did a few years before. And then if you dig up, you know, like Lords of Flatbush, you know, he doesn't look anything like he did in Rocky, even though there's not that much time between it. This is a guy who somehow physically reinvents his face, hair, and body all the time. Yeah. In 2010, he was voted into the Boxing Hall of Fame. But more exciting to people listening to this show is probably that in 2005, he inducted Hulk Hogan into the WWE Hall of Fame. Yeah, and that's huge. I mean, that really shows the the impact that Rocky Three had on professional wrestling. Let's talk about Terry Jean Bolea, Hulk Hogan, who has a, a a scene in this film which broke him into superstardom and really catapulted his career forward from being a wrestler that not a lot of people knew. Certainly outside of wrestling, people didn't know him. He was a big, major, famous heel in wrestling and had kind of turned babyface, but... This movie brought him to the public consciousness, and then a couple of years later, when WrestleMania came about, and everybody knew what wrestling was, it was one of those, oh, yes, he's the guy we saw in Rocky Three. Yeah. Hulk Hogan, big-time star, WWE champion a million times, 12-time <laughs> champion, 12 yeah. times, six times for the WWF slash WWE, and six times for WCW. Yeah, and that's an, actually an amazing number. Because if back in uh, uh, you know back in the '80s or and, and prior to that, mm-hmm. if you won a championship, odds are you held on to it for a while. Yes, which is certainly true for him. He's the second longest reigning WWF champion of all time, right after Bruno San Martino, and he had the longest reign in the 1980s. Which I don't think anybody would ever question. That's something anybody that's ever seen wrestling could imagine that. But he had the title for 1,474 days from 1984 to 1988. And I mean, think about that. CM Punk coming on TV recently saying, "I've had it for 316 days," and yeah. we all say, "Oh my God, he's had it for so long." Yeah, yeah. 1,474 days. It was just something where I remember as a kid, it started to get boring. You know, even as a little kid, you started to be like, nobody's ever going to beat this guy. Yeah, yeah. And it was also one of those things where you only saw him a handful of times during the year as well. Yeah, Hogan was was there for the big big events. You know, he'd be there for WrestleMania, be there for, and he'd he'd show up on TV, but not. He would do maybe a promo on like Wrestling Challenge, and he'd do you know Saturday Night's Main Event. There you'd get to see him do a full match, but you didn't get to see Hogan unless you paid to buy a ticket or you watched a pay per view event or Saturday Night's Main Event. Mm-hmm. And I think not to get onto a whole uh, you know another discussion about 
about wrestling now versus wrestling then, but it also allowed them to tell really, really, really long-term stories. Like, look at how the the angle between Savage and Hogan developed over, what, the course of a year? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, an even better one to think about is Hogan Zeus. They stretched that out from the release of that film all the way into Survivor Series. You know, they just right. would bring Zeus out every, you know, couple times a month. What they're doing now on TV with, with Brock Lesnar is very similar to how all the storylines used to be. Yeah, yeah, you get them in small doses. So here's a little bit of information I found. After filming his scene for Rocky III, Hulk Hogan made his debut in the AWA. And the reason for this was because Vince McMahon's father, so the current Vince McMahon, Vincent K. McMahon, his dad used to run the WWWF, and his name was Vincent J. McMahon. And he didn't want Hogan to shoot this movie. didn't want Hogan to go out and do it. He felt there was nothing in it for him. And he felt there was nothing in it for the business, and it made wrestling look fake. Yeah. And so he, Hogan had to leave. He went to the AWA. He started a run as a heel, and uh, he had luscious Johnny V as his manager. And then eventually he, he turned and he became a face and, and really became very popular out there and had some feuds which involved Bobby the Brain Heenan, which we'll talk about more detailed later. Uh, but he was eventually lured back to the WWF when Vincent K. McMahon took over. So Vincent K. McMahon really knew that this is this is the guy he wanted to ride, you know, into mainstream success. Yeah, probably, you know, one of a handful of, you know, the best decisions that Vince McMahon ever made. Oh, I mean, well, Vince McMahon, yeah, I think you're wording that in a way uh, uh, that's that's not exactly what you mean. It's probably one of the best decisions he's made, but Vince has made a lot of shrewd decisions over the years. Okay. Less less lately, but mm -hmm. uh, historically, my God, this guy knew how to run a wrestling company. Oh, sure, and you could argue that had Vince not done what he, he did in the 80s in terms of, you know, infringing on other territories and stuff, that pro wrestling wouldn't have reached the popularity that it did and, oh, sure. and it would be an incredibly different state right now. No, it's, it's very likely that wrestling would be like roller derby. Roller derby yeah. was really big in the sixties and seventies. It was somewhat big in the eighties. It's hard to find. I mean, you can find it in your local area. If you look, you know, there might be a, a little league set up and you can go watch it, but it's not on TV. You know, I mean, even boxing, boxing was a totally different sport. 50 years ago it was the biggest sport on television. You know, and then, you know, now it's it's big on pay-per-view. It's not on television very much. You know, things change, and they change with ideas, you know, with people that have, have a concept. And Vince had a concept of how to take this sport and make it something that, you know, could be on lunchboxes. And that was a crazy idea. Oh, yeah. Speaking of lunchboxes, I own two lunchboxes, two different lunchboxes, featuring the face of the man who fights Rocky in this film, Mr. T. Oh, cool. Is one of them uh, an, an A-Team lunchbox? One is an A-Team lunchbox, and one is a Mr. T cartoon lunchbox. That's great. Uh, I don't have, there's no Rocky Three lunchbox that I know of that features Mr. T. Uh, Mr. T, this was his first film. He was somewhat well-known to people in the in the boxing industry because he was a bodyguard for Leon Spinks. And he was he was a really, I mean, he was a guy that when you saw him, you didn't forget him. So he was somebody that people 
to a degree new, but he certainly wasn't world famous. Uh, he had won a contest on ABC. They did a show called Games People Play, and they had done the world's toughest bouncer competition, and he won two years in a row. And Stallone apparently saw him for that and decided to have him in this film, had decided to have him audition. And he he took off. I mean, it was something where, you know, the day after this came out, this was a guy everybody was buzzing about. People wanted to know about this guy. Yeah, this is one of those, Mr. T's one of those guys that regardless of, of how he got his, his break, he was going to be a star. It was just a matter of which vehicle was going to do it. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Um, I I found an interview that Mr. T did with the Milwaukee Journal, June 6, 1982, and he said, the character Clubber, that's Mr. T. Only the name's been changed, and that's the way I act. I'm hungry like that. I work alone. The lines was all, you know, I should do this in the Mr. T voice. The lines was all mine. Stallone would tell me, in this situation, you just say what you would say. I want you to be realistic. I want I want, wanted to be all you. He wrote, wrote, rewrote the script and built the movie around me. Even the haircut was the real Mr. T. A style, oh, I'm sorry, this is, this is no longer <laughs> Mr. T speaking. This is the guy who wrote the article, who I'm assuming did not sound like Mr. T. Even the haircut was the real Mr. T, a style he chose nearly two years before it caught the attention of the casting director of Rocky III when he appeared on the nationally televised interview following his victory in the bouncer contest. Uh, one of the things about this was they were looking for someone to play this part, and they had tried a lot of people. And one of the things that they found, which we'll talk about more detailed later, is that a lot of boxers sound like Mike Tyson. Yes. This is this is not he's not an anomaly. This happens from time to time with guys that are incredibly imposing. When they open their mouth, they're not very imposing. Mm-hmm. Mr. T, of course, no stranger to professional wrestling. Yeah, I think some people are going to be surprised at how much involvement he's had over the years. Yeah, Mr. T started out, the first time he appeared on on WWF programming was in February 1985. They did a a thing called The War to Settle the Score on MTV. And he was in the front row, and they're like, he's he's, uh, Hulk Hogan's best friend. They were in in Rocky together. And so at this point, we're talking, this is three years later. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's in the front row. Cindy Lauper gets in the ring. There's a there's a tussle with with Rowdy Roddy Piper, and so Mr. T comes into the ring. And so from February until WrestleMania came about in March, they promoted the first WrestleMania. Yeah, wow. I mean, you don't think of that now. Look at yeah. the. It is unusual that they did the one year build with The Rock, but do they ever do a one month build for a main event at WrestleMania? No. I mean, it's crazy. So yeah. they built up this match, and the match was a tag match. You had Hogan and Mr. T versus Rowdy Roddy Piper, who still hates Mr. T to this day, <laughs> and Paul Mr. Wonderful Orndorff. Um, as part of the promotion for this, the two of them, Mr. T and Hulk Hogan, went on to Richard Belzer's show. Oh, there's, no. There's a lot about this, and I'll try to sum it up best I can. Uh, the show was called Hot Properties. And they were going on four days before this event, and apparently they were both very nervous. I mean, you got to think, this isn't like John Cena going on Fox and Friends four days before WrestleMania 29. This is, they had never done this before. This was a huge deal for Hogan, and it was also a huge deal for Mr. T. I mean, this was, you know, he was going to go wrestle, which he hadn't done, and there, there wasn't a track record really of celebrities doing this. Muhammad Ali had done it, 
Uh, but it, it was an unusual thing for an actor to step into the ring. Mm-hmm. They went on this show, Hot Properties. Richard Belzer made fun of them and talked about how wrestling was fake. And kids, back then you didn't do that. <laughs> I know today you can do that. If if uh, if if David Letterman decides to make fun of Big Show, if Big Show goes on his show and he's like, "Hey, it's all fake," uh, Big Show's not going to choke slam. You know, it's it's <laughs> most likely Big Show will smile and be like, "Well, yeah, but we really get hurt." Yep. Well, anyway, this didn't sit well with Hogan, so. Belzer kind of says, hey, why don't you show me a move? Show me a move and I'll get out of it. So Hogan chokes him out and knocks him unconscious. He flips back. His head busts open. Really, really an ugly sight. Now, the the side to the story that Hogan and Mr. T tell, and remember, they lost. They went to court. Uh, uh, Belzer sued them and settled out of court. But it looked like they were going to lose this this uh, this court you know, battle. So, But their side is that they were told that there were going to be uh, injured children, you know, uh, handicapped children there, and right. that that's why they agreed to do his show, because he had a very small show, and they went in to do it. And they got there, and there, that wasn't the case. And, you know, they were apparently very irritated, and, and things hadn't been going very well. And rightfully so. It's a bait and switch. Yeah, but uh, you, Hogan really shouldn't have tried to kill oh, Mr. Bell. Oh, sure. And, and <laughs> I know Mr. T, uh, I don't remember where, but... I think over the years he said he, he told Hogan not to do it. Yeah, but uh, he didn't stop him. <laughs> How can you stop Hulk Hogan, I guess even that if is you true. are Mr. T? That's true. Now, the night before WrestleMania, Hulk Hogan and Mr. T appeared on Saturday Night Live to promote WrestleMania. Uh, back then, the, the host didn't necessarily do a lot on the show, so there were very few sketches that involved either one of them, but they, they did appear in a few sketches. There's one where they play bodyguards to Prince. There's another one where Hulk Hogan plays basically Jason from Friday the 13th. And they did the opening monologue and they promoted the hell out of WrestleMania and they did skits throughout. There's a a really weird moment where Mr. T tries to play tambourine with the musical guest, which which was uh, uh, the Commodores. And they were about to do the song Marvin, the song about Marvin Gaye. And uh, he goes to play tambourine with them and they kind of wave him off. They're like, we're going to do the song about how Marvin Gaye died and was (laughs) shot. Um, and so he leaves. Very we- weird episode. If you can find it, uh, definitely check it out. It's a uh, an interesting moment in wrestling history. And so then you had that match. Muhammad Ali was the outside the ring referee. Uh, Pat Patterson was the inside the ring referee. It was promoted that Muhammad Ali would be the referee. And Pat Patterson said he he met with him the day of and said, this guy can't be the referee. This is not, you know, Muhammad Ali even then was not healthy enough to to be inside the ring. Sure, and I think if, if you watch wrestling, sometimes you, you can forget how important the ref is. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially I mean, when you see a, a match with a really good ref. I mean, you're moving all the time. Um, you're getting in position. It's, it's, a, it, you know, it's, it's not something you can just sit back and, uh, and, and wait, wait to count three. Yeah, exactly. So after WrestleMania, they won. You know, Paul Orndorff got pinned because Roddy doesn't like to get pinned. And uh, and things continued with Hulk Hogan feuding with Rowdy Roddy Piper. And and, you know, there was there was also a feud between uh, 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 Paul Orndorff because he turned, you know, and, and there, there was a lot that went on. And Mr. T pretty much stayed out of wrestling until the next year where he came back for WrestleMania, two. Yeah. And laced up the gloves. 
Yeah, this is this is a very weird moment. Uh, it was very strange that they wanted him to be a boxer. I guess they figured they had done all they could with him as a wrestler in the first one, and they didn't want to go to that well again, so they'd try something new. So they brought him back as a boxer, and he, he laced up the gloves, fought Cowboy Bob Orton in March of 1986 on Saturday night's main event on NBC, and the match ended in a no contest, I believe. I do remember that it, it ends with uh, Piper at some point running in. They uh, they whip Mr. T with a belt, and then you know, you're going to get the big match, Roddy Piper versus... Uh, versus Mr. T at WrestleMania 2. One of the things that's interesting is WrestleMania 2, they tried something very unique. They basically broke it down to three small events, and you would see one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast, and then one in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this it really was, gave it the big event feel. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. From what I understand back then, you know, closed circuit projecting. I mean, obviously you weren't looking high def image. You were looking at a very faint image mm -hmm. and it was kind of the people in the crowd got restless and didn't enjoy, especially the crowd that saw the first main event, you know, which, which was, uh, I believe the long Island crowd. They're just sitting there then for the, the next two thirds of the event and watching a TV screen above the ring. Yeah. Uh, but it was a, it was a neat idea. I like that they tried this. I think they should try it again. I'd love if they just tried it with, you know, you have every match at one location and then one match at another location. Yeah. Because now you put a high-def screen on there. You can make it look really beautiful. You put, you know, let's say you do every single match, you know, in uh, in Chicago, and then you put one match, you know, in L.A., you know, that'd be kind of cool, especially if it's a, if it's an important match. You throw the Undertaker match there and the other main event, you know, in, in, in the in the real city. I think that'd be a neat idea. This did make it so there there's nobody that could see every match at every WrestleMania. Yeah, it's um, it, it definitely ruined some people's streak. <laughs> yeah, some guy had a streak of one and <laughs> it ended at one. So uh, so they had this match. Uh, Mr. T, I've seen in an interview describe it, and this was a recent interview within the past five years. He said it was something that even the Three Stooges would have been ashamed of. Uh, <laughs> he, he talked about how ridiculous the match was. Um, it, it's, you know, it is what it is. They, they, they put on the gloves, and two guys that really weren't boxers pretended to be boxers for a little while. With Joe Frazier, the Haiti kid, Bob Orton, and Lou Duva at ringside, uh, the match ended with Mr. T winning by disqualification. And, and that was it for WrestleMania 2. Mr. T then disappeared from wrestling again, but came back in 1987 as a special guest referee. And this was a really short run. You remember this, though, right? Oh yeah, he had he had the referee shirt and he'd come down with that bar that you know Hogan also had one of these in the eighties. You'd bend it to show yeah. your strength, and uh, he would come down and you know be like, hey, you know this uh, referee made a bad call, and the ref would be like, I did, and you know the ref would reverse it. So uh, so he was the special enforcer, you know, for just a couple months, and then what happened was he got a deal to do uh, a show called TNT, and so he left to do that, but. Mr. T was backstage at WrestleMania 3. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. A little interesting bit of trivia. He attended it. He was backstage. He wasn't working. He just was there. Uh, I've seen a picture of him and Harley Race backstage at WrestleMania 3, which is, oh, cool. which is very cool. So that was it for him in the WWF. And then 1989, Mr. T made an appearance in World Class Championship Wrestling. If you don't know that name, you probably know the name 
Von Erich. The Von Erich family in Texas ran WCCW. And they did a deal where Mr. T was coming to town. I can only imagine that it was literally like Mr. T was like, I'm going to Texas. See if you can find me some some way to get some money while I'm on vacation. Yeah. So for weeks they said, oh, my God, Carrie Von Erich's best friend, Mr. T, is coming down to be an enforcer because Bam Bam Bigelow has been getting out of line. And so Mr. T showed up, stood outside the ring. At one point, Bam Bam came out and T put the, the, the fist up and Bam Bam went, whoa, I don't. I don't need this until I fight Lawrence Taylor. Yeah, and sadly, Mr. T is the only remaining person from that match. match, We've since lost both uh, Kerry and uh, Bam Bam. Yeah, and and Kerry Von Eric, just a a side note, people may not know this. He had only one leg during his run in the WWF. He had lost his leg slightly below the knee, I believe, in a motorcycle accident. It just didn't heal well. And so he had lost his leg. But unlike, you know, Zach Gowan, where that was his gimmick, he just didn't shower. He would show up in his, he showered at home. It was yeah. not, he wasn't smelly carrying. But he would show up in his boots and he would never take his boots off. And people would rumble about it backstage. Why doesn't he shower? Why does he go home immediately? You know, why mm-hmm. does he sit backstage covered in sweat and then go home? I mean, it just seemed, everything seemed odd about it. Uh, there had been one match where his leg went a little goofy. Somebody tried to grab him by the leg, and the boot almost came off. And so his leg kind of swung around backwards. He kind of, uh, like, did a Sid? Yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> My God, explain that horrific moment. <laughs> well, uh, one of I, I guess um, towards the end of WCW's run in, what, 2000, 2001? Yeah, I think it, did, it ended 2001, the very beginning. Yeah, they did the Sin pay-per-view. And this is the last one they did, I believe. Yeah, and uh, uh, Sid was involved in a match that also involved Scott Steiner. And Sid was told, apparently, by WCW officials to do some uh, high-risk aerial moves. So, <laughs> No, wait. We gotta, you got to remember, Sid, the goofiest-looking guy that ever lived. This is a giant. He's a big, tall giant who had, you know, William Katz's head from The Greatest American Hero Clamped down on top of that giant body. Really goofy, goofy guy. And somebody told him to go off the top rope, and rather than go, I don't go off the top rope, he went off the top rope. And seemingly didn't know what he was going to do once he got down. Yeah, it looked like his his intention was to jump off, land on his foot with his boot straight out to kick his opponent, which I think was Scott Steiner. And what happened is that leg didn't hold. Oh, my God. And it snapped. It snapped all the way. And it just flopped around like a rubber band. Oof. It's such a tough uh, clip to watch. And thankfully, um, there are remixes out there that that make it less painful. (laughs) Well, it is also one of those things that you kind of – you look at it and you're like, well, first of all, he's healed. Second of all, it's Sid. Yeah. (laughs) It's Lord Humongous. It's Sid. It's Psycho Sid. Uh, Yeah, there was a great remix that we saw, and I wish this was still on the internet. Sid jumps off, and then what was the song? Beat It? Beat It, yeah. I think think it might have been like an 8-bit version of Beat It. Yeah, or so, was it the full version? I don't remember, but it, it, yeah. whatever it was, it, it, it fit perfectly. Beat It starts playing, and then Sid kind of uh, they they stopped the video, and I guess they digitally cut him out and made him flip back and forth. So he's like, like he was dancing. dancing. Yeah, he's dancing on that leg. <laughs> and then Steiner 
slides out of the ring. Yeah, he just slides over and slides <laughs> out. And then Sid floats up into the heavens, and then the referee follows him. <laughs> oh, amazing. Really, really crazy. Now, you may be thinking, so July 21st, 1989, Bam Bam Bigelow loses to Kerry Von Erich with Mr. T at ringside. That's it for Mr. T in wrestling. Oh, no, no, no. Mr. T still had quite a few more wrestling runs to do. Five years after that, he appeared as a special referee for the Hulk Hogan-Rick Flair match, which was at Halloween Havoc 1994. And he was, there was, there was a, a, uh, an indication that there might be a heel turn, that he was seen in Chicago at a restaurant with Ric Flair. Oh, wow. So they teased that. But then the night of, it didn't happen. It didn't come about. And there is a really interesting moment in this. Mr. T apparently got to know Muhammad Ali very well over the years. Um, and I don't know how well. I just know that I've heard that, that that is the case. And after this match ends, Muhammad Ali motions him over to him because Muhammad Ali is sitting in the front row. Nowhere near as healthy as he was at WrestleMania 1. Yeah. He motions Mr. T to come over. Mr. T comes over and then helps Muhammad Ali to the back. Um, which is an interesting moment. I don't know why it, it necessarily happened. I can't imagine that that was the plan from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. help help Muhammad Ali to the back and then come back because Mr. T wasn't done for the night. He comes back. Yeah. So it was yeah. it was yeah. an odd moment, but it, it, it happens in that match. Then Mr. T went on to have his only one-on-one matchup. In WCW, he wrestled Kevin Sullivan at that Starcade. So this was this was uh, his only singles match of his career to date. I'm I'm willing to bet it's his only ever, but uh, yeah. to date it's his only one. God bless Kevin Sullivan. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen that match, but I can totally see Kevin Sullivan being the right man for the job there. Yeah, Kevin Sullivan was. Kevin Sullivan did a good job with Mr. T, who at this point, again, we're talking quite a few years after WrestleMania. I think in WrestleMania, you watch Mr. T in that he's in tremendous shape. He can really go. You know, he's not a wrestler, but they gave him a few moves. I think Pat Patterson helped train him. And he and he did all right. You know, I mean, he. I think he looks really good in the ring in that. And one of the things that they came up with, which I've heard Roddy Piper talk about, is that that Mr. T would do a lot of amateur wrestling moves. And the yep. reason was because they didn't want to have a pro. And this, I think, is a really good philosophy. Sell to an amateur, you know, Mr. T, a movie star or, or whatever you are, um, to a wrestling hold. But if it's an amateur wrestling hold, then that looks different because they're bringing a different style in there. And it's it's believable that they could know that well. And Mr. T was a champion wrestler in high school. He was the state champion for the state of Chicago, mm-hmm. which is a pretty impressive state to be the, the champ of. Uh, oh, yeah. So, you know, they thought that would work out well. And so that's what he did. But here in this match against Kevin Sullivan, Mr. T was not in that kind of shape. He was much older. He needed a lot of help, and Kevin Sullivan did a good job, carried Mr. T through the match. I'm pretty sure Mr. T probably would admit to this. Uh, and it, it's a decent match. It's it's short, you know. It's it's uh, and it's not the main event. This was a you know an added attraction on the undercard, and the crowd really got excited when Mr. T won. And during this run, Mr. T did appear a lot on television. He did you know he appeared on different TV shows with Hulk Hogan, you know, uh, different WCW programming. Also, this is important to mention, there were two episodes of the A-Team 
that happened in between WrestleMania 1 and WrestleMania 2 that Hulk Hogan appeared on. Okay. A lot of people would assume because of the storyline of the first one that they did together, which is called Body Slam, that it takes place prior to WrestleMania, but it doesn't. It just, I think it was one that they filmed around that time, but it aired on television months later. Okay. So, so anyway, so that, that's uh, the connection between Hulk Hogan and Mr. T and both of them appear in this film. And I don't think that Mr. T would have ended up being Hulk Hogan's tag team partner even as famous as he was, if we assume that without Rocky III, he still became the star he became after it, I don't think he would have ended up being Hulk Hogan's tag team partner had they not both been in Rocky III. Oh, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't argue that, uh, there. Now, this was Mr. T's first film, Rocky III. Prior to this, a film came out one month before this called Penitentiary Two, but that was shot after this. And the director of that, Jama Fanaka, which is one of the greatest director names of all time, I mean, yes. I don't know how this guy isn't the most decorated Academy Award winner. If you're looking on a ballot and you're like, Martin Scorsese, that's a good name. Steven Spielberg, that's a good Jama Fanaka? How do you yeah. not vote for Jama Fanaka? The first time I heard that name, I thought I had heard it a hundred times already. It's yeah. Jama Fanaka. <laughs> but Penitentiary, it's a series of films. They take place. There's boxing in them and there's prison in them, which is why it's Penitentiary. Uh, Mr. T is in it uh, a lot. He's he's really fun to watch in it. Uh, very colorful. And he was cast based on the hype around Rocky Three. So it was after Rocky Three. Rocky Three took a long time to get from being filmed to being in theaters. They They waited almost a year. Yeah, that's interesting. And I wonder if that was somehow um, due to, you know, the schedule that Stallone was keeping because he seemed to be putting out project after project. Yeah, it, it, it was, oh, it was his heyday. I mean, it was it was a real phenomenal time. I want to say this. I am a huge Mr. T fan. I have an amazing collection of memorabilia, and I've met him several times. Mm-hmm. Back in 1993, he had a comic book come out, and I went to I went to the... Uh, it was a mall called the Franklin Mills Mall. It's still there, but it's not what it was then. At the, in 1993, it was it was popping. And I went there with a couple of my friends, and Mr. T was signing his comic book, and I met him, got my picture with him. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. This guy, he was so nice to us. I mean, I can't tell you how we were a bunch of kids that just wouldn't leave him alone. You know, we were like teenagers. We got in line, then we got in line again. Then, mm-hmm. you know, when the line completely ended, we just kind of hung around and talked to him and he couldn't have been nicer. I mean, he yeah. just, he talked to us. He let us try on his gold chains. He let us hold. He had this gold chalice there. He, you know, like I brought up some pictures from WWE magazines and he was really excited to talk about wrestling. I brought up a picture of him with Nancy Reagan sitting on his lap, which is a real photo from when he played the White House Santa. And he was like, oh my God. He said, you know, that's me and Nancy. And he showed it to everybody he could find, you know, that was like other people in line after me. He made me wait so that he could show that to him. Oh, uh, that's great. Really was so nice. And so, from I was a fan of his from the time I was a little boy. A- mm-hmm. After I got over the fear of the nightmare of pulling the window shade up and seeing him there, I had I had a moment where I was in grade school and they had a fire truck there. And the fire department was there and they were showing us how the fire hoses worked. And they said, this fire hose would knock down any man. And my <laughs> hand went up and I said, would it knock down Mr. T? And the fireman looked at me and goes, yes, it would knock down Mr. T. And all of us, all of the kids in the school went, because <gasps> this, this blew us away. Yes, it could knock down a regular man. 
but Mr. T? So I had been a big fan of his, but when I met him in 93, I just thought he was the coolest guy. And it was such a wonderful moment because this was the biggest celebrity I had ever met at this point. And he was super nice to me. So then I went and saw him when he was on Conan in the year in in 2000. I went there and you can actually, if you ever find the video, it's a great clip. He, He showed up in a silver outfit to promote TV land. And if you look closely, when they pan the audience, you'll see me in the front row. And I was I was past the cutout cutoff point they they filled the theater because i was on standby because i had just heard about it the day before and i'm there with my with the woman who became my wife later and they said um okay we're done and then the, the guy saw me he's like wait that guy has a mr t-shirt and he goes how many are in your party i said it's two and he's like all right hold on and he brings me in and he's like i can give you two seats one in the front one in the back and i was like well future wife you can sit in the back I'm sitting in the front. So uh, so I saw him there in 2000. I went back and saw him in 2002, got a great picture with him. Then in 2003, I'm out in California. I'm living in California for a short time. I find out I'm walking down Hollywood Boulevard, and I'm wearing a Mr. T t-shirt. And the guy outside Holly, the, the Jimmy Kimmel Live Theater on Hollywood Boulevard goes, you know, Mr. T's on the show tonight. You want to come in and see it? And I was like, what? what? <laughs> so I went in. I not only saw it, they put me in the front. They moved me to the front again. And um, this time they moved my wife with me, which I'm sure she was pleased about. And then they come over to me with the camera and they're like, hey, pose with your shirt. And I was like, yeah. what does that even mean? You know. <laughs> and so I just start doing this. You know, this was as they go to the commercial, everybody's clapping and I'm doing this, woo, you know, pointing at my shirt. Uh, so I'm on TV. Mr. T came over, met me afterwards, was super nice. I met him a few more times after that. The most recent time was 2008. But I saw him shoot that TV show he did for TV Land. I went to an episode and saw them film a reality show live. So he's he's a really cool guy. Every time I've met him, even when he's been really tired, He's mm-hmm. been really cool. So very nice guy. Uh, I'm a super fan. And this movie is a huge portion of the reason for that. Oh, yeah. Now, when this movie starts, Rocky Three, they tell us that Rocky has defended the title 10 times. Mm-hmm. And from what we know, in Rocky math, this movie <laughs> takes place three years after the last film. Now, it's a little convoluted, this series, because the first film happens, the second film you know, it took a couple of years to make, but it takes place right after it. Then this mm-hmm. film, a few more years, but takes place three years. So they're they're in the past. In this whole movie, they're at least a year behind where we are yeah. at this point in time. But he defended the title ten times in three years. Now, today, that would seem like a lot. But yeah. back then, it wasn't unheard of. Ali fought ten fights in 1972 to 1973. So, I mean, in two years, he fought 10 fights. Um, It was a big difference back then. They didn't have pay-per-view. They had TV ratings. So if you were the champ, you had to be on TV a lot. So Ali did a thing called the Bum of the Month Club where he would show up (laughs) Not every month, but it was it was yeah. close to it. You know, sometimes it'd be you know within within a month and a half he might be back on TV having another match because he wanted another paycheck. And one of the things that Ali said was he used to try to drag those matches out because the longer they went, the more commercials they got in. Oh, that's great. And he said that some of his matches, he he looked at the uh, sponsors who would always be sitting in the front and be like, "I hope you got your commercials in already because I can't hold this guy up anymore." <laughs> So very, very interesting. Uh, one more thing I do want to mention in this movie uh, and in Rocky 2, Rocky had the Ring Magazine world title. 
Prior to this, in Rocky 1, the title that Apollo had is unnamed. But they started using the Ring Magazine title, which was a very prestigious title at the time. It's not considered to be one of the top titles anymore. It actually disappeared in the 90s and then came back. But at this point in time, this was a very, very important boxing championship. This was was a championship that had started way back in 1926 when Jack Dempsey won it. He he lost it to Gene Tunney. I mean, this was this was a belt that had been around from the twenties, and everybody had this. You know, um, Muhammad Ali had this. Uh, mm-hmm. George Foreman, Joe Frazier, Sonny List, and Pat uh, Floyd Patterson. Not Pat Patterson. He never. Yeah. If he did, they, he would have won it in a fake tournament in Puerto Rico. In Puerto Rico, yeah. But going forward, Mike Tyson had this. This is the title he lost to Buster Douglas. Evander Holyfield then won it for Buster Douglas. And that's when they stopped having it. And they've brought it back since. One of the Klitschko brothers has it now. Uh, but it's not really considered the main heavyweight championship. They've got way too many titles. They've got the WBA, the WBC, the IBF, the WBO. And so this one no longer is considered the big title it was. But back then... In 1982, when Rocky III happened, Rocky had what was considered to be the, if not one of the most prestigious titles, that goofy red, white, and blue ruffled strap with a couple gold plates on it. Mm -hmm. And that's actually pretty amazing, too, because... A lot of times in movies, they'll do what they did in the in the first Rocky, where it will be a nondescript title. Right. This would be akin to making a movie not affiliated affiliated with the WWE, but having uh, the champion in that movie have the WWE championship. Exactly. Now, I've I've looked at pictures of Rocky wearing the belt, and you can see Jack Dempsey in the one plate. You know, there's pictures of people on both of the plates. There's one on the left and one on the right. I can't tell who it is on the other side. I just have not been able to find a picture where Stallone's turned that way. Now, I've always heard that he has a side of his face that drooped. So perhaps that's why in 80, Mm -hmm. in 82, when he was posing for these pictures, he turned that way, but I don't know. But so that is, that is the title that he has in that. So, so that this is the title he's going to be defending against Clubber Lang. When we return next week with more camel clutch cinema, Craig, are you pumped up? Are you ready for this movie? I've got the eye of the tiger, man. I am ready. All right. So we're going to watch it and we'll come back next week and we'll talk to you about it right here on camel clutch cinema. So you want to wrestle, huh? You're too little. We got ushers bigger than you. Leave. I got to take a crap. Don't you see? Your skittles plus my skittles in the ring. Tag team. Howard Patrol, this is John Triton. What are you doing up there? Staying away from you. No more rhymes now. I mean it. Anybody want to feel that? What's that smell? <laughs> Down goes Jimmy King. Oh, my God. A four-post massacre. No one can survive this. This isn't even a pay-per-view!